Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Sato. Happy to be with you on Friday, March 20th, as coronavirus continues to grip the globe and also grip the tennis world. This week, we learned of more cancellations on the ATP WTA tours. The tours now suspended until June 7th, and we also got a big bit of news from Roland Garros. They have moved their tournament from the May-June time slot all the way back to September 20th, October 4th. That caused a whole bit of confusion in the tennis world and a lot of uh, interesting reactions. We have a special guest in the program today. That is Brett McCormick, tennis reporter at Sports Business Journal. This is a great time to speak with a person like Brett who's got all the information on the intricacies of what's going on in the business side of tennis. I mean, tournament cancellations postponements, the season in jeopardy. Uh, Brett has a lot of information that he's going to share with us on today's program, so very excited to speak with him. Check out Brett on Twitter at B-R-E-T-J-U-S-T-1-T. You'll get all his information by just looking at the show notes. And don't forget, you can find the Lucky Letcourt podcast wherever you find your podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Lucky Letcourt podcast. You can also find the show on our social media at facebook.com slash tennis now or on twitter at tennis underscore now let's now get to that interview with brett mccormick lucky letcord podcast is very pleased to have brett mccormick sports reporter at sports business journal focusing a lot on tennis in 2020 is that correct brett yeah uh thanks first of all thanks for having me um but yeah i i do some general assignment work um a lot some of that focuses on soccer because uh, that's probably an area that I follow more than some people, more than most people at my work. Cool. Um, and then tennis, tennis is my beat. And so we, we kind of, we're an American based publication. So we sort of look at it more from an American perspective, which is, you know, like sort of more isolated times of the year. Um, Cause tennis definitely the most international sport that um, deals, you know, anybody in America would deal with except for maybe like formula one or something like that. But right. um yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of tennis. Though I mean, it's a, as you know, a, a really wild and weird sport, um, and I'm getting to know it a lot better. The business side, I've always been a fan of on-court tennis, but um, business side is it's a little new to me, and, and is definitely <laughs> an interesting uh, arena. Yeah. Hey, before we get into the multiple issues that we're going to discuss here about the business of tennis and in, in regards to coronavirus. Uh, Tell the listeners where we can find you on social and where we can find your work. Uh, that would be a good way to start for us. Yeah. So on Twitter, I am at Brett Just One T. It's B R E T J U S T number one T um, on there pretty actively. Uh, we are Sports Business Journal is uh, sportsbusinessjournal.com. Uh, we actually have a lot of our coronavirus coverage right now is in front of our paywall, which we have a substantial paywall, but um, I think a lot of it right now is in front of it and probably pretty interesting for people that are a bit starved of sports information right now. I think, you know, we're kind of uniquely situated to, or uniquely suited to be covering a lot of the stuff going on right now. You know, the, much of which involves questions that even we don't really deal with very often. Um, for example, a term that I don't use 
uh, haven't used very much until recently was event cancellation insurance. Oh my god! Uh, we have an entire we have an entire podcast about that. If you need to oh, know more do. about that, so cool. We do, yeah. Um, so, and actually, if you go on uh, any of your podcast providers, uh, we have a podcast called SBJ Unpacks. U N P A C K S. Yeah. Check that out. We've got a we've had a bunch of stuff on there, all kinds of. Um, aspects of the sports industry especially um olympics is one that we're covering a lot you know i think that's the next big domino to fall yeah. um and we we're, we're doing a lot of stuff on that so sbj unpacks is um you know doing a lot of coverage on coronavirus uh sports specific if you want to kind of understand more about the and the impact that this has financially on on uh sports cool very cool and um yeah to our listeners if you if you Follow us and follow the links over to, to Brett's Twitter. You can basically get familiar with his work, what he's working on. You'll see he's doing quite a bit in this regard in terms of what's going to happen financially with tennis. And you follow follow him on Twitter, follow some of the links, go to the podcast, and then you'll probably be enticed over to Sports Business Journal. Have a few reads over there. Like he said, a lot of it's not behind the paywall now, so a good chance to get acquainted with what they're doing. Um, so, Brett, let's start with uh, the biggest news of the last few days in tennis. It's been a you know, quiet for 24 hours now, but Roland Garros goes rogue unilaterally. We think unilaterally, and you might have some insights on this, um, decides to move their tournament dates to a very sticky part of the calendar, um, along with Labor Cup now in late September. The rest of the tours react with their statements and uh, throw a little shade in the direction of the FFT. Where are we with this right now? And, and um, First of all, what do you think's going on behind the scenes with the with the major tennis governing bodies and the FFT? Yeah, it, the biggest thing around this seems to be how the decision was made and how it was shared. Uh, I'm off this week. I'm actually on paternity paternity leave. Uh, kind of a crazy time to have a kid, but uh, that happened this week. So I I did make a few calls though, and um, on one of them I was told off the record that. Um, Roland Garros uh, people were on the phone with ATP and WTA officials when the tweet was posted that announced they were moving the tournament. And so you can imagine the reaction on that phone call. Wow. <laughs> um, players weren't consulted, it seems. You know, like I know v- Vashik Pospisil has talked about that. Um, he has. You know, it's it's a interesting time of the year to play tennis in Paris. Could be, you know, a little chillier there. Yep. Um, I know other players have, have definitely brought that up. And then, of course, like you said, they sort of uh, cannonballed into uh, this time of the year that, um, you know, already is quite a busy um, time on the calendar. You know, and you've got Labor Cup, which is backed by one of the, you know, biggest influences in tennis, which is uh, Roger Federer. Uh, and, and of course, teammate so agency. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting thing. Cause you know, I, I've seen in some camps they've been praised for kind of, uh, breaking through the stasis that seemed to kind of overtake tennis a bit the last two weeks, you know, it's such a, I, I think this issue or this decision that Roland Garros made that the French open made speaks really clearly to the dysfunction in tennis, you know, the, the fragmented nature of the sport where, everyone seems to kind of pull in their own direction. And so I think some people saw it as, you know, good for French tennis for uh, being proactive and, and making the call. And then others, you know, just kind of blown away by the fact that they wouldn't consult with it. They, they apparently didn't uh, do much consultation with uh, any of the other stakeholders and, and sort of just 
plop themselves in, uh, you know, this extremely busy time of the calendar year, uh, tennis, tennis calendar year, uh, when, you know, we, we don't even know if that part of the, uh, of tennis is going to be held either, you know, that's and, correct. Coming right after coming right after the U.S. Open, I mean, you're gonna, you know, that's where I'm sure the players' ears perked up. You know, I mean, you got to play those two tournaments back to back. That that would be pretty difficult, especially given the weather. You know, you, you kind of wonder about um, muscle situations. Maybe in in the French Open, you know, you suddenly go from from New York to you know cooler weather in France, and um, you know, and 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 a lot of potential wear and tear for anybody that made a deep run in us open. Oh, yeah. Um, and again, that's assuming that's assuming that any of those tournaments are even played at that time of the year. So, um, it just seemed to really, uh, and I wrote about this, uh, in, in this week's sports business journal that tennis is a sport, I think is uniquely challenged by something like a global pandemic because of, you know, for example, it is, uh, or, you know, in part because it is so global, it is so international, yes. um, but also because you've got so many, um, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, and, and just really difficult to make the best decisions for everyone in tennis um, because you got so many uh, entities pulling in different directions. Almost impossible to make the best decision for everyone, correct. Oh, God, so much to talk about. Uh, on the same subject, the response by the the joint statement, first of all, <clears throat> first of all, a joint statement from the ATP and WTA, which is something we haven't been fortunate enough to have in years, which was pretty darn cool. It may, might signify a little bit of um, maybe the tours and the tennis governing bodies and have um, reacted to Roland Garros's decision to kind of do it unilaterally with the, and are starting to realize the need that they need to put something together, that they need to get on the same page. I mean, I mean, if you look ahead at the what's going on, I, I think Roland Garros maybe felt desperate and felt like, gosh, they've done all this planning. They've got the roof over Chatrier. They've done so much work in about four phases over the last decades and spent, or rather four years, and spent so much money that they had to make a statement. Maybe they believed that it might not happen at in September as they have, uh, you know, are planning to now, but they wanted to just put themselves out there in the calendar and give themselves lock something down in terms of just getting squeezed out. Cause obviously they're the next tournament to get squeezed out, but I'm rambling a bit. My real question is, do you think that the reaction by the ATP WTA, the other three slams, and then also throwing shade on the FFT maybe points to that the possibility that we might have a little bit more unionization of the, the governing bodies in the future. This is like the, one of the couple timeless questions, you know, with pro <laughs> tennis and, and I just would not hold my breath. Right, um, right, right. You know, I, I did, I did like their statements. You know, there were, like you said, there were, there were, there was some shade, some subtweeting, some. But I think passive aggression is going to be like the limit of this because I mean, the, the slams have so much, have so much clout on their on their own that, you know, it, it's hard to say whether they need the tours. I mean, obviously, right. you know, you need a, a tour so that the players can make more money so that. You know, I mean, there there is interconnection there, but but I mean, they just that kind of move suggests you know how they feel about the the dynamic um, regarding the WTA and ATP. They also had a joint statement a couple of weeks before um, the week before Indian Wells about um, ball ball uh, ball people and towels and things like that. So that's right. two in what almost a month. So yeah, I mean, nice. that is unprecedented apparently. Um, but I mean. Again, I wouldn't. I don't know that they're exactly on the same page either, because, or at least they have are making some different considerations in their decisions. Because I was really surprised that the WTA waited as long as it did to uh, make essentially the same move that the ATP made on uh, suspending play. 
Um, you know, and I, I hopefully we'll get to talk to the WTA, somebody from there this week, but when I get back to work, but, uh, you know, I'm just curious, like why, why the delay on something that seemed like tennis could, you know, most of the tennis stakeholders could make this kind of decree at the same time. And and the sport will come across as much more, you know, homogenous and, and on the same page, but, you know, I just don't think that is the reality. And so I don't think there is, um, I don't think there's any more drama brewing than normal. I mean, I just think that's like a natural byproduct of how the sport is set up. Yeah. I do wonder if there will be um, any renewed efforts to kind of create some sort of overarching something, council, body, like whatever you want to call it. I mean, when I, when I, um, one of the first interviews I did covering tennis was talking to Mickey Lawler, and she mentioned during that, without me asking about it, you know, she would love to see the WTA and ATP kind of under the same umbrella, you know, different organizations, but they would, they would uh, be more closely connected and be um, able to benefit each other and, and benefit off each other. Right. Um, and you wonder if there, if there could be some sort of, I think I mentioned this to you when we were initially talking about this interview, you know, some sort of group that could represent um, all the different aspects of tennis, pro tennis, but that would have to be like a pretty big, body <laughs> you know because you do have so many you you do have so many um uh entities and, and governing bodies and national federations and, and tournament owners and and then you know within those categories you have different sizes of them you know you have players that are ranked number one in the world and you have players that are ranked 850th and you know obviously they don't have the same considerations and then likewise from grand slams down to you know um international level WTA tournaments or 250s on the ATP tour. So um, subsets within subsets. Right. I mean, so it, it would be really difficult to get it all together. But I mean, you, you do wonder if there could be something like that for things that sort of universally would impact tennis. So for example, a global pandemic or a gambling scandal slash crisis or um, something like that, that really would touch all aspects of pro tennis. Could, could you create some sort of body that would at, at certain times, of crisis, you would turn to them and defer to them and they would make the call for everybody. Yeah. That seems like something that would not be that unreasonable, but then like, just where do you even start with that? I mean, I think that would be a huge challenge. I don't know. I don't know who would take that on. Um, I'll vol- I would volunteer you. <laughs> you, well, you would, I would volunteer you because what you sent me in direct message, your, your kind of a skeleton <clears throat> plan seemed sensible. I mean, it's just, it's a beginning to an idea that could be further developed and it would create some cohesion and, something for the fans to and something for people casual observers to kind of recognize as tennis instead of this this uh, yeah. hodgepodge that we get through media different announcements different tours men's women's ITF challenger mm-hmm. and it's uh it's confusing i don't know if it hurts the or if it helps the sport at all in the long term in terms of keeping a loyal fan base and and keeping them informed it's it's very tricky it seems like it would be a good way forward for sure yeah, I mean, it, it, you would think that would be the ITF. Like, if for somebody starting to pay attention to tennis, you're like, okay, the ITF, that seems like something like FIFA, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's really not how it is. You know, they're 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 uh, not really above anybody um, in, in a lot of aspects. So, yep. um, yeah, more. no, I, I, that's that's something I'll be looking at going forward, I think. I think, I think that's an interesting thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think about 
the if you look at where Roland Garros has put its time frame of September 20, October 4th, there there there's like 11 other tournaments there, including Labor Cup, which only will feature what a handful of players, eight, sixteen, all pretty well established. Yeah. Um, and you think about the economic impact of a tournament like Roland Garros. Even if it's sandwiched right next to to the U.S. Open, we're talking about big time prize money just for qualifiers, and, and we're talking big time first round loser prize money. This is the kind of money that could have, help young uh, help players kind of salvage some of the lost money and income of a season. So, what do you think if you put it on a scale? Do you think it's better for the players to have Roland Garros, even as poorly situated as it is on the calendar, or do you think that it creates some serious danger with these other tournaments, which are now going to be like Really, um, I mean, there are already small tournaments in that group of 11 that Roland Garros is kind of shining above. But, uh, I mean, it could cause some economic pain for those tournaments for sure. Yeah, that w- so that would leave you with like an interesting situation. If you were ranked, say, like the 200th man or woman in the world, would you try to play the French Open or would you try to play one of these other tournaments where you had a smaller prize money pool, but maybe a better chance of progressing in the yeah. tournament. Yep. Um, I, I would be sitting with my agent or my parents or whoever, you know, was involved with my career and, and trying to do math it out, you know, because that was, I guess I'm giving away a lot of my story <laughs> that I wrote in the magazine, but uh, that was another reason why tennis is, is kind of uniquely impacted by uh, something like the coronavirus, because the schedule is like almost completely inflexible. I mean, it's so full that you, you leave yourself with no room for error. So uh, again, the French open, wh- where would they have moved, you know, because it's an Olympic year too. And oh that's um, assuming that the Olympics happen, which uh, right now I would give a less than 5% chance. A month. I, I would, this is my personal opinion. I would think it would almost certainly be postponed to 2021, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's an even more crowded tennis year than normal. So, and and then again, you know, it's a, it's mostly outdoor sport, so you really run out of room. So I mean, um, I think the tours are definitely better off with, and, and the players are definitely better off with Roland Garros happening. I mean, it's an enormous event. Um, sponsor opportunities are are immense, and I think that you know is um, kind of behind all of this with tennis. A lot of these decisions um, is you know sponsorship dollars, and so if you can have those um, opportunities, I mean. It, it's it's a big deal, you know, I mean, especially with um, the French Open, I'm thinking like BNP Paribas, you know, which is one of the biggest backers of tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, I'm sure, uh, a, a huge event for them for their business, uh, you know, so I think obviously they would love to have it, especially after Indian Wells was canceled. Uh, the American, the CEO of BNP Paribas in America told me that they host uh, over 2,000 clients during the two weeks of Indian Wells. So wow. you can imagine that the French Open um, they probably have a lot more European business uh, and that they are busy, busy people uh, during that tournament. So, you know, I, I think um, I think Roland Garros having that tournament would be a, a big bandaid to, you know, what's a, a year that's really going to, I mean, leave leave a financial mess um, in, in all of sports, but especially in tennis. Yeah, crazy. And. Let's talk a little bit. I enjoyed your interview with Bill Oakes, former tournament director at Winston-Salem, and I was not thinking about insurance at all, but I was, of course, thinking about the economies of these smaller tournaments and just how much damage would be done to them. And, I mean, you, you talked about a lot of different things. The fact is that they don't have insurance. How bad are some of these 250s going to get hurt, hurt is basically my short and simple question. Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and, and I don't have – 
specifics on this because first of all, I think, I think uh, you have to wait a little while to see. Also, there's very few, if any precedent. I mean, one of the things I want to do on Monday when I um, get back to work in my home office is uh, try to, try to see what, what tournaments in the past have been canceled and why, you know, you had, for example, last year you had the Hong Kong uh, WTA tournament that was canceled because of the civil unrest. Yep. Um, but I mean, you really can't think right offhand of a, of a lot of other events uh, that have been canceled. I'm trying to think uh, because 9-11 U.S. Open would have been over, I think. Um, I mean, they, there's just there's not like a lot of um, of, of uh, events like this that just pop into your head. So yes, I so agree. I really don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah, you... is, is the is the answer to that? Um, you know, I I have no idea like. Is this going to impact prize money next year that they're going to be able to offer, or um, is it going to hurt appearance fees? Because you know that's a big deal for 250s because they're not uh, attracting players, you know, elite players very easily. So um, I, th- I think that's a great question. I mean, Bill Oaks told me in that tournament, or sorry, in that interview that um, the 250s, you know, on average clear about like 125 to 150 thousand dollars so annually. So that's not that's not a, a lot of money. That's a tight um, ship. And so that's a tight ship. And so you can see where there could be, I would be interested to see if there are some tournament sanctions that, you know, come up for sale after this year. Um, and it could be some, some events that already were, you know, in a bit of a tight spot and, and this kind of does them in. I, I think that that'll be the case throughout the business world. Right. I think you're definitely going to see that in restaurants, you know, that have very tight margins, but, um, but I would say these 250 tournaments, that's, that's definitely the case. He, he told me that uh, the average ATP 500 makes about a million bucks a year and that um, Masters 1000s make, you know, usually a lot of times around like 5 million bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the 250s, I mean, that's, a, that's you know, one bad year, and, and you can see how that would be trouble. And, there, I mean, there's a lot of those 250s that are not exactly staples of their communities or, or whatever. You know, they, they kind of tend to bounce around. Right, they um, do. Yeah, so, it's not. Yeah, it's no. not been easy even without a global pandemic, and now you throw one in. Right, right. And and you talk about the, I'm not. I'm still not really crystal clear on what the lack of insurance really means. I mean, for instance, these, <clears throat> these tournaments have paid out and invested in whatever they're going to be doing for the 2020 event. And do they basically just take a complete loss? Is there anything they can do to recoup some of the money they're losing here? Obviously, they're not paying out any prize money. I would assume that. I don't yeah. Know. So, okay. So, Bill Oaks, who is awesome, by the way, cool guy. He he's also the um, chairman of the ATP 250 tournaments committee, like the the international committee. So he's highly involved in the tour, um, kind of as an organizer for these smaller tournaments. So he, he he's cool because he knows what he's talking about for That's starters. Right. Um, you know, it's um, I I would say one big consideration is like whether broadcasters have paid out what they're contractually obligated to pay the tours. Right. Um, And then maybe some of that money could be disseminated to the tournaments, Mm -hmm. but you know, which would be crucial for these lower rung events. But like, I don't, you know, you're not going to get ESPN. I've already emailed ESPN. They're not going to tell you whether that's happened or not. Right. Um, And so if it hasn't happened, did the terms change? Is there something in the contract that says, I doubt there's something that says in the event of a global pandemic, but um, is there something that says, you know, in the event that 
we don't have any content, here's what will happen. You know, does, does the, does the fee drop like exponentially, which you would, you would assume that would be the case. Also like same question for sponsors. So have they already paid out money to um, tours and or tournaments? You know, um, I would assume BMP Paribas, I would assume, I don't know this for fact, but I would assume they took a wash on, on uh, Indian Wells. So, um, you know, that that money was already out there and that, you know, I don't know, I don't know that they'll be able to get that back. Yeah. So um, again, and, and then if you've got like has Emirates already paid ATP for the year to be their top sponsor, yep. um, I would think they have, but you know, does that money get disseminated down? Is there a way that maybe, you know, some of that money, maybe more money than usual could be given to at risk tournaments or, you know, are there tournaments, for example, like in the U S open series, does the USTA do, do something to prop them up? You know, you've got like Atlanta, um, Atlanta Winston-Salem. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Newport just got into the uh, U.S. Open Series. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you see that kind of um, – I know, like, Australia was kind of creating a similar thing to the U.S. Open Series. I know the um, uh, All England um, has kind of a similar setup with Wimbledon. So so maybe I wonder if some of those tournaments are going to have the benefit of – being in, in that U.S. Open Series, like, is that a bigger benefit this year where it may save your tournament um, from, you know, from collapsing? So um, another thing that Bill told me um, that was interesting was that he told me ATP events usually were paid their money from the tour uh, 30 days after the tournament was held. Okay. So, um, so that could give you, like, a little bit of an idea about that. But, you know, even that wasn't immediate, and it was not money up front. So you did not already have that money as, as the tournament director. You had to have the tournament and make money. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think that was interesting, but like, um, this week, you know, I definitely am trying to get on the phone with people from Houston and Charleston to see, you know, what kind of impact they'll have. Charleston, I'm sure will be okay. Cause they're owned by Ben Navarro, who's a billionaire. Um, he tried to buy the Panthers when, um, the Carolina Panthers, when David Tepper bought them. Being a billionaire, um, and then Houston a billionaire is, helps. Yeah. It certainly helps. <laughs> and then Houston is, uh, owned by private ownership. I'm not a hundred percent clear, but it's, you know, it's a U.S. national championship. So I, I, I have to think the USTA is involved somehow, but, yeah. um, I, I don't have a clear yeah. picture on that yet, but, but Charleston, I think is okay. I mean, that tournament is really successful and pretty solid, but even still, you know, it's, it's, um, it would be interesting to know what kind of hit they take from this. And also I, I don't, I don't know what kind of, uh, response I would get to that sort of question, you know, like, Oh, we would never tell you that. Or, or do they want to put it out there and maybe, I don't know, put pressure on, on, uh, for Charleston's, um, example, you know, put pressure on the WTA to help them out or something. I'm, I'm, I don't really know how that question would be received. Yeah. It's fascinating just to see how, how, how your next week is going to go. I'm looking forward to it. It's a good teaser. <laughs> yeah. By the way, right, right, by the exactly. way, everybody, this is, uh, the appetite. Oh, sorry to interrupt this, but I wanted to just reintroduce you again. Brett McCormick, sports reporter at Sports Business Journal, covering tennis this year and doing a heck of a job at it. Um, and going to get us a lot more information on the finances of tennis with the global pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic causing havoc on the ATP, WTA tours, Grand Slams. I mean, we, we could be talking about, I mean, worst case scenario, this season could be over and we could be talking about a lot of upheaval potentially with these 250s that we're um, discussing right now, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you think about like, we haven't even discuss the fact that the last two months of the WTA tour are almost exclusively spent in uh, Asia. Right. And uh, I think, I think nine tournaments in China, including Wuhan, which was, you know, ground zero for coronavirus. So, 
um, yeah, no, I think there, I think there's going to be major impacts on, um, on, uh, the lower level tournaments, especially, but, you know, even maybe even some of the bigger ones, cause again, you're spending bigger, um, you know, some of these Chinese events, I, I, I would assume, I think are backed up by the government. So they're probably going to be okay, but you know, they like Wuhan, for example, has spent a lot of money building their facility, which is world-class. And, you know, um, think about like the Miami open. Do you think the Miami open wanted to cancel their tournament after Stephen Ross spent $71 million building that facility last year? Yeah, absolutely not. Which is probably why they waited so long and, and kind of got the get out of jail free card from the local allowing the local government to cancel the event for them. Because that was another one that last week I was kind of, or uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? It's like <laughs> weeks or weeks or years this year. I, um, yeah, I think that, it was two weeks ago or that was, over a week. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, because it was yeah Miami Open would start on Monday, I think. Um, Goodness. But that was one that I was you know like what 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 are we waiting for? Like what are we waiting for? Because Miami is you know one of the most international cities in the United States and absolutely did not need to have that tournament um, this coming week. And and you know like look at how different. The situation is from when they canceled the tournament to where it is now. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't possibly hold a sporting event right now um, yeah. because it's you know it would be unconscionable. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy how fast it moved and 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 how so much got swept up so quickly. Yeah, I mean, personally, I I didn't feel much frustration with the Miami delaying or the WTA because I think we all knew it was inevitable, and it was just like yeah. they, they needed to get their ducks in a row, talk to the people about how to put the message out and who should break the news, and and maybe have some really important discussions before they finalized. I mean, I think I feel like some of the frustration is unwarranted that we see on social media about what's happening in. It's it's inevitable, first of all, and I think it's just such a crazy situation where we go from being at Indian Wells. I mean, I was skeptical, even though the, the energy was ramping up at that tournament. I was really skeptical about my Tuesday flight to go down there, and I was thinking, how is this happening? I can't believe that I'm about to go on a plane. But anyway, I think, you know, I think they knew what they were doing. It's just such a difficult situation. I guess the next... Unfortunately, we have to say this. If there is another global pandemic, they'll be a lot more prepared, which is crazy. Well, it's one of those it's one of those things where and, and I've thought about this and thinking, okay, like what what am I gonna write about this going forward? You start asking one or two questions and then it just like snowballs into these all these other things and and so if we've thought of any of these questions, they've thought of four times as many. So um and I would say any of my uh displeasure with how fast they moved was selfishly probably related to a deadline or something like that. So, <laughs> you know, when I see like uh, one event of a similar size or one tour of a similar size to it, you know, to me, it's kind of like, okay, what are we waiting for? Let's get it going. But no, of course they, you're right. They have uh, so many considerations to, to keep in mind. And then, you know, a big part of it is like, who do you let know and when? And, you know, I think that's where a lot of the players have been pretty teased about a lot of this. Yes. It, it, it seems like it's been a lot of times they've been kind of, some of the last to find out, which, you know, is tough, especially as they're flying all over the world and the ones that are having to be in the airport. Um, but yeah, no, no question. There's so much that goes into, into these kinds of situations when you don't have a playbook to go from. No playbook. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, you know, the players are right to voice some frustration and I think that's a lesson to be learned going forward. They need to tighten this up. There's really bad optics with players going rogue on Twitter and criticizing their own tours. Yeah. 
Right, right. Um, but enough, enough said on that. I want to kind of go to a big picture question um, with you, Brett, before before we say goodbye here. Um, we, uh, we talk about the stock market now, which is also not looking very pretty, being priced to perfection about a month and a half ago before all this news hit and things went really sour. And I feel like we might be in a situation where the tennis tours are a little bit priced to perfection with Roger Federer and Serena Williams at the at the golden age of their of their careers kind of on at this making their swan songs but still a big, very big and vital part of the economy of the tours we've got Novak Djokovic Rafael Nadal at the end of their careers and we're having this global pandemic which is going to really wipe out the sport financially at least temporary do you think worst case scenario we miss the rest of the season or we miss the olympics and start up at the u.s open do you think it's going to leave scars do you think the game is going to be maybe potentially rearranged economically and not be the same sport when we get back to it i mean i would i that's a great question because i think of, i've been thinking about that like with the world in general i was a history major so i like to think about these like you know kind of oh this would be this is a history book moment for sure and so i mean are there are there ways that this pandemic is going to change the world for sure i think you're already seeing that like with um food uh delivery you know yeah, things yeah. like that, that that we're kind of kind of catching on that i think are like going to become mainstream parts of our lives after this and so you definitely have to wonder if tennis will have the same um same impacts i mean for starters all pro sports is going to have something to go off of if this happens again because it you know until we have a vaccine i mean uh, COVID-19 is going to be an issue, you know, and, and so, um, and this is also something that, you know, when you have climate change, there are things like this that are unleashed that we've not experienced yet. And so you do have to, I think moving forward, you know, climate stuff is also going to be something that, that we're more prepared for. I mean, Australia showed you that, you know, with the Australian open. So, um, I I think sports are going to start taking disasters more seriously. I really, think uh event cancellation insurance like if there's a company that has stock buy into that if we're talking about the market because yeah, i feel yeah. like that is that is something that will become more appealing you know it's a it's a great question whether the average 250 atp tournament could afford that um but i think this year will give them the counter argument of can you afford this um, you know, and then and then at least they would be able to make a more educated decision. Whereas in the past, you know, you would just be guessing. I think we would lose this much money if we didn't have the tournament. Um, now, unfortunately, a bunch of them are going to know for a fact. Um, so, and then you have to wonder too, like globally, I wonder are there ways that we're going to come out of this, you know, and and be better. Um, you know, for example, I think the world will take hand washing more seriously. You know, which is only a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in tennis, and in tennis, I think you have the same opportunity. I mean, can somebody step forward and, and um, say, you know, let's try to put some egos aside and let's create some sort of committee that can help lead the sport forward in, in the best possible way? Because tennis, to me, is like such a sleeping giant that that could really be a cool sport in the modern era. I mean, you have a sport that's incredibly international. It's like luxurious and 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 uh, exotic and cool and you know a lot of super young uh digital natives are are it's superstars you know you look yeah. at naomi osaka or coco or uh like anisimova or kyrgios i mean just yeah. like really normal um uh people that are extremely open um superstar athletes and so i think in an influencer era you know i mean these these, these kinds of people could be 
really huge. And I think that would especially happen if Coco continues her ascent and, and if an American male can emerge. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because tennis is not on broadcast TV in the U.S., so it, it, it has that challenge. But I think, you know, with social media, they could cut through that. But again, you kind of, it would really help if the uh, organizing bodies or the, the, the governing bodies and the organizing committees and federations and um, so on could pull in the same direction. You know, I think that would be a big deal. Imagine if the ATP and WTA got under the same umbrella, you know, what kind of better media deals they, they could arrange, you know, I mean, cause I think in the U S you know, they, they would prefer, uh, you know, an ESPN would prefer almost prefer women's tennis because, you know, that's where the stars are in the U S oh, yeah. um, you know, while there is, while there is interest in Federer and, you know, the big three, et cetera. Um, you know, Serena is, is as big a star as them in the United States. So, um, so I wonder if maybe this could lead to a era of greater cooperation, but I mean, as with, you know, the, the larger world that, you know, I would hold my breath. I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> right. And as we move forward and you look at a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies in the corporate world and a lot of things are kind of going south and we'll have to be sort of rebuilt. I wonder if you have any worries about the future purchasing power of the sport in terms of potential sponsorship money or TV revenue. And again, in, in, also taking into account the fact that you know the the big drivers of the sport for years the Federers, the Serenas, the Venuses might be um, who knows they they don't have much time left. Um, so any concerns there on your end or any thoughts on that? Uh, I I don't think so because the tennis audience is such a unique audience. I love. To I hear still this. think that that yeah no I think that group is is unique. I mean that's why you're top sponsor for the ATP is Emirates, you know, which is a global kind of luxury travel connected, you know, company. Um, I I just think that that's going to continue to be the case. Like I don't see how Rolex wouldn't continue to find value in tennis or BNP Paribas or uh, I'm trying to think some of the others, Um, you know, companies like that, I I think are still going to Porsche, I think are still going to see the benefits there. So I, I don't, yeah, Rolex or, or even like, um, you know, Infosys and SAP and some of yep. them, you know, yep. that have really, really immer- immersed themselves in tennis. I, I mean, it'd be kind of weird for them to pull out now, but they've, they've really um, kind of uh, less less sponsors and more partners, you know, with the two tours with what those two companies have done. So yeah. I, don't, I don't really see that happening. And then also, I don't I don't know that there will be big changes in broadcast stuff because the, uh, the tournaments in danger are not the ones driving the broadcast deals anyway. Yep. So, um, you know, and, and for like, for example, um, you can buy a company can buy a sponsorship for the U S open series. Um, that does not get them. And I could be wrong on this, but I'm almost certain that it does not get them, um, access to the U S open, but it does give them access to the tournaments leading up to it. And I know one of the big sponsors of the U S open season, uh, series is cheeses of Europe. So it's like a conglomeration of, cheesemakers from Europe. And so um, that's, that's the kind of sponsor that you might be a little more concerned about because first of all, that's a really, um, you know, it's like an interesting product. That's perfect. A perfect example of a tennis sponsor. It's a really international company that wants to get into a new market in another part of the world. But do they want to do that through the Winston-Salem Open and Cincinnati and Atlanta and, and those tournaments, or would they just buy like a U.S. Open sponsorship as opposed to the series? Yeah. So that, like, I think you'll have situations like that, but I don't foresee like a big 
pull out from tennis. I think tennis has kind of got its own little niche um, that I, I think is relatively safe, especially as long as it continues to be the tours continue to play in, you know, like 30 something countries. Right. Yeah. Good. That's good to hear. Fantastic, Brett. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to cut it off there, but um, I want to say this is an extremely informative, enlightening interview. I appreciate your time so much during this, these difficult times, and uh, I hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, I hope I can have some more answers for you. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it will be really interesting just to see some of the responses to the questions. Like, you know, I've already gotten a lot of, oh, we'd love to help you, but we could never tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I, I think there's, um, and, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is, you know, when it, you talk about finances, you almost never get an answer. But also, I think um, sometimes not saying anything is, is better than putting something out there that you have to walk back or that, or Absolutely. you know, that, that comes across in the wrong way. And I think everybody's being extra careful right now. So, um, but hopefully next time I can enlighten you with some more detail. Oh no, it's great, and it's good to know you're out there digging, and we'll definitely be staying in touch with what you're writing and podcasting and all that. And um, you know, we'll we'll be talking soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for coming on. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, enjoy the baby. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> okay, take care. Special thanks to Brett McCormick for joining the program today. He's an essential follow, so make sure you check him out on Twitter and go to sportsbusinessjournal.com for all the news on what's to come in the business of tennis. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast today. We'll do our best to keep you tuned throughout the suspension. Hopefully, we'll get back to tennis soon. But in the meantime, we'll keep bringing you regular installments of the Lucky Let Court podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good weekend. Peace.